let's take a look at the worst. <laughs> the players who have gotten significantly worse this season. Is there hope of this stuff turning around? Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd, and I'm standing on business. I'm also the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com, and you can find me on Twitter, as always, at RedRock underscore Beeble, on TikTok at RedRock underscore Beeble, and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more right now. New customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That is 150 bucks. If your bet wins, visit fanjul.com slash locked on to get started. Thank you also for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. Go and double bang. Go and hit that thumbs up. Go and uh, leave all of that stuff where you need to leave it. All right. Um, a couple of things. Jacques Vaughn was fired by the Nets. I didn't mention that yesterday. I didn't think it was all that important, but... I've seen a little chatter, so I'll talk about it quickly. Kevin Ollie is going to be replacing him. And immediately when a coach gets fired, there are a lot of things that fantasy managers jump to, and usually they are just wildly incorrect. So the two things that I've seen is like, oh, does this mean that it's, more, you know, it's finally time for Cam Thomas to be unleashed? I don't know how much more we needed from Cam Thomas. He was playing 33 minutes a night and hijacking every single possession. Like, I'm not sure what more Kevin Ollie will allow him to do. I guess will remain to be seen. Also, just on the nets... I talked about this about three, four weeks ago. Uh, what is their front office doing? If you're turning down multiple first-round picks for Royce O'Neal and multiple first-round picks for Dorian Finney-Smith and allegedly four first-round picks for um, Mikhail Bridges or getting all of your own draft picks back from the Rockets plus Jalen Green, and then when you're underperforming so you fire your coach, the reason you're underperforming because you're firing coach is because you believe that Mikhail Bridges is a player to build around. Abs- we love Mikhail Bridges. It's pretty ample, ample evidence, and I, I thought it was pretty clear also in the offseason, that he's not the guy. That he's not the guy that you build around. He's not your number one player. And the fact that this team could have been in such an unbelievably good rebuild position by banking, let's say, eight first-round picks plus Jalen Green. Could we have done that? Maybe, yeah. Possibly. And who knows what happens with them now. Like, they're just uh, poorly run. The other question I've seen is like, oh man, this must mean it's it's uh, it's go time for Dayron Sharp. I'm not really sure about that either. I'm not sure Kevin Ollie's is going to come and go. All right, Nick Claxton, you're benched. It's time for Sharpie. Now I did talk about Sharp on the players to watch end of season stuff, just in case they do uh, get an injury to Claxton, because Sharp's a guy that's obviously going to pop off, and Sharp is a uh, Claxton is a free agent. But when an assistant comes in from uh, in-house, who's already on the squad, it's very unusual that there are huge, significant changes. All right, everything's Cam Thomas now. All right, Claxton, your bench at sharp time. I just, it, it, there's definitely nothing you can do preemptively for fantasy unless the coach comes out and says, all right, I actually hate Ben Simmons and we're going to be running Dennis Smith as the starter. All right, if that happens, then sure. But pre- try to preempt what an assistant coach is going to think is just wasting your energy. Like, just have a sleep, mate. Like, you're not going to get that information. It's just not going to happen. The chances of anything actually material coming of it is low, and guessing what it's going to be is even lower. 
The second part, I did this show yesterday when talking about the biggest improvers, and a lot of people just read the title and then complain, man, where's Jalen Johnson? Where's Kobe White? Cool. They did take big leaps forward in their fantasy rank, but as I mentioned on the show, and I'll mention it again today, we are looking at the players who saw the biggest per-minute increases, not about guys who just saw increased roles. And Kobe and Jalen both did improve in their individual categories, and they've turned into better players. But what I wanted to look at is who had the biggest improvements per minute across categories and who was able to be in the top 5% of improvers in those categories. Just to see who the... Because, again, at the end of the season, we'll look at the biggest fantasy rises and we'll do all that holistic stuff. In the middle of the season, what we want to know is, hey, these guys have taken big steps forward. How real is this stuff? Has this person been one of the absolute best improvers in this category? And is there a, a way that that falls back down so we understand where that value is going? That's the point of that. So when I talked about Kobe White, who I think had one category as a top 15, or sorry, a top 5% improver, I think Jalen did as well. They weren't as big as the guys having four category improvements or three category, like gigantic big rate improvement numbers. And the same when we look at the big disappointments in this one. It's not about who just sucked. Right, who just got way fewer minutes or who just um, suffered small drops in every category. It's about which guys suffered the most catastrophic falls in their overall per 36 production. So we're looking at the bottom 5%. And I had a, a sample size of the top 250 pl fantasy players removing rookies and removing the low-minute guys like a Keon Johnson or the guy who was the guy from last season that played one guy game for the Thunder. A Xavier Simpson played three games for the Sun Thunder and was a... Yeah, top 40 player, removing those guys out of the equation. So it was, in the end, it was about top 220 players. So who are the guys that suffered a top five percentage fall in per 36 value across 10 different metrics that we're tracking and who had the most of those top 5% falls? Therefore, looking at them and going, huh, is there any way that this stuff is able to improve? And a lot of that stuff early in the first 50 games is a bit weird. We'll find out. That's what we're talking about in this show today. So before I, should I get into this? I'm trying to work out exactly what we're going to do. No, we won't get into that right now. In fact, we'll just do this and then we'll just come in clean. Because today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. The NFL season is over. So FanDuel is now telling us to get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That is $150 if your bet wins. So it's a $5 bet and... You just got to win it. And then when you do, you get that $150 in bonus bets to you. You can bet on all of your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same game parlays, exclusive props, and more. So go to fanjul.com slash locked on and shoot your shot. Fanjul, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. And don't forget to gamble responsibly. Today's episode is also brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than 1 billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals that you couldn't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all of this while making the process easy and intuitive because as a small business owner, you are looking for the best staff to help run your business. So easy to find those quality professionals on LinkedIn, the professionals that you need for that role. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and they might not have the time or the proper resources to hire the right people for their business. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on MBA. That's linkedin.com slash locked on MBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
All right, so outside of the person whose photo is on the thumbnail, who do you think is going to be in these biggest fallers? We've got seven names here. And these seven names, all of them were in the bottom five percentile or top five percentile, however you want to phrase it, top five percent of um, fallers in a per 36-minute value across categories. They had three of those categories that fell in the top five percent of reductions, which is pretty bad, obviously. There were a bunch of other guys who had um, two categories and then obviously a further bunch who had one, one category fall. So who do you think is in this list? All seven of these have three categories. And number one, or I say number one, but it was just the order that the spreadsheet provided to me when I sorted it, is Kelly Oubre Jr. of the Philadelphia 76ers. One of those key things, and we've got another example of that this season with Terry Rozier. When you move from a terrible team where you're getting a lot of shots and a lot of the ball funneled to you, and you put up good scoring, and people love 20-point per game scorers, and then you move to a team that's serious, well, things don't necessarily go as well as what you might hope. And Oubre was always one of those extraordinarily empty players who relies on um, shooting percentages, which probably aren't realistic. And you can look at his numbers. They're actually pretty crazily down. He's 5.2 points per 36 minutes fewer this season than he was in Charlotte. So it's not even a minutes thing. He is playing three fewer minutes per game this season. And that would have been probably even lower had it not been for the recent Embiid injuries and the Melton injuries and injuries early in the season to other players. Well, yeah, Ubre suffered his own injury, of course. He is going to be a pretty low-minute bench guy, I think, once you see guys like Melton and Batum return. But again, this is not just about have your minutes gone down. This is about per-minute production. And of course, Ubre's usage has dropped 6.1% because he's now playing on a team that's serious. And if you put the ball in Kelly Ubre's hands that many times, well, your team's not going to be serious and you're going to lose. His three-pointers are also down almost 0.73s per 36 minutes because he just isn't required to do anywhere near as much. His rebound rate has dropped. His steal rate has dropped this season. But interestingly, his um, th uh, field goal percentage is actually up. It's up 3% this season. And his free throws are down. Um, his three-point percentage is about the same. It's really this a team is being more serious and saying, we don't want you to shoot as much. Please don't shoot as much. And it's worked out for the Sixers, but it hasn't worked out for Ubre's value. And while I can look at all these things and go, well, is there a chance that Ubre's usage, usage bumps back up and he hits more threes and scores more? No, there's not. I don't think any of those things are going to happen. In fact, I think it's probably going to get worse for him. And the minutes are then also going to drop as well. So I don't think there's any real way that Kelly Ubre is able to be a 12-team league player for the rest of the season. Did you guess him? What about this guy? Damian Lillard. All-star game MVP, three-point champion. And I will be 100% serious here. There will be somebody, somebody here who is watching this show, maybe, somebody in one of your leagues, out of the people that are watching this show, there'll be one person in one of your leagues that thinks this, and I know that someone thinks this because I have someone asked or mentioned this to me already. Do you think that Lillard getting the MVP means he's back on track now? Do you think this will mean that he's going to have a, a huge like um, a positive run the second half of the season now that he's found his form? Happens every year. There's always something that happens in the All-Star game or in the All-Star weekend festivities that makes people go, oh, there you go, figured it out. Time for a big second half. Maybe. Or maybe Lillard continues to be the same that he has been, which is really disappointing. His minutes are slightly down, 1.37, but it's the other stuff. Look at the scoring, 6.5 points per 36 minutes. And you'll notice that's not because of a gigantic usage drop. He has had a usage drop, but he's not suffering one of the big usage drops the way that Kelly Oubre is. 
he just isn't hitting threes at all. Uh, 1.12, 1.12, 1.2 threes per game per 36 down. His field goal percentage is four percentage points down. His three-point percentage is three percentage points down. These are huge numbers. His usage is 4.7% down. His impact on your field goal percentage in category leagues is almost one standard deviation down. Now, he wasn't always a huge positive guy there, but that's turning it into real bad negative territory. I will say this about Lillard, though. I don't think that he is as doomed to be as bad as he has been. And I say bad, like he's, what, 23rd for the season, and for the first two or three months, he was 14th, right? Which is fine. It's been way worse since then. I don't think he's doomed to continue a downward slide. I don't think he's doomed to be this bad. To me, it's just a really easy fix. He just hits some threes, and he can do that. It's not like he's not... Like, Ubre's threes were down, yet his percentage was about the same. Um, I think, well, now... Yeah, his percentage was exactly the same. Lillard is shooting 3% worse from three. Lillard is shooting 7% worse from two. Right, those numbers have very easy ways of jumping up. The usage probably won't change much for Dame. But once you get the two-pointers and three-pointers bumping back up, even if it's not back to last season, you've got so much buffer to actually improve. The points jump, the threes jump, the field goal percentage jumps, and Lillard becomes solid. He's still solid, but like much, much better very easily. This is a prolonged shooting slump, like obviously. And... It's not outrageous to suggest that he could have a 20-game run where he hits 40% from the field and 56 from two, or 40% from three and 56 from two, goes at 48 from the field and gets his threes back up and bang, you're done. Like, that is so easy to see. So yes, Lillard's been disappointing. He's been one of the biggest fallers in three different categories. And I, I wouldn't give up any hope. It's so easy for that to turn around, I think, for Damian Lillard. It's not difficult at all. This one is really intriguing, and he's someone that I was down on. I based whole shows about why stop being fooled by rankings on this guy. Stop being uh, ridiculous and taking him in the first round or at the turn. What are you guys doing? This is insane. But I didn't think it would necessarily be this bad for Jaron Jackson Jr. Jaron's numbers are down in many areas, and he's actually playing almost three and a half extra minutes a game. But again, this is not about pure rate stuff. This is about, well, it's not about pure volume stuff. Because his rebound rate, without Steven Adams there, is down 2.5 rebounds per 36. Very, very easy to tell. That was very easily predictable. We talked about this a lot. As soon as that Steven Adams injury hit, a lot of people thought, well, no Adams there means more rebounds for Jaron to grab. Whereas I tended to take the opposite view of no Adams there means there's no one actually clearing the space for anyone to grab rebounds. And that's what Adams does. And that is bad for Jaron. It's been way down. The absence of Jar Morant for all games bar nine has had a real impact in numerous areas. And one of them is blocks. And you go, how, how is that even possible? How does Jar Morant's absence and Stephen Adams' absence mean that Jaron doesn't block shots anymore? Because that is an unbelievably low number. Minus 2.05 blocks per 36 minutes. That is, most players don't even block two shots per 36 minutes. That is an insane drop. Like, insane. He went from 3.8 to 1.8 blocks per 36. That is an unfathomable drop. Like, ludicrous stuff. Because when you... And again, a general rule. And we talked about this on the Rises show. that 
like for Scotty Barnes, when you up usage and ball handling and offensive responsibility, normally your defensive stats suffer. Barnes has been the opposite, which is where I go, I'm a little worried because the blocks have continued to rise. Jaron had to do way more usage-wise. His usage went from 24 to 29. In fact, over the last 13 games, he's a usage 36, which is insane for Jaron Jackson to be running 36 usage. But that block rate dropping that much. And of course, now that he's taking way more shots, he can't hit them. So his impact on your field goal percentage, negative 1.36 standard deviations. That is a huge hit. And honestly, there's nothing here that suggests to me this will change. In fact, Jaron's not even going to play the rest of this season. Let me rephrase that. Jaron won't play all of the rest of this season. He will play some of it. He's not going to come out after the All-Star break and be like, I'm done. I'm not playing anymore. But he will not last till the 14th of April. He will be done at some point towards the end of March, I'm guessing. And there's just nothing to... Well, Jar's not coming back. Adams isn't on the team. Million guys are out. There's no one that's coming back to make his blocks go up, to make his field goals go up, to make his rebounds go up. In fact, those minutes probably end up coming down as well. Like I've said for about three weeks, basically as soon as Desmond Bain was hurt, like I would try to get off of Jaron for a top 50 player if that is possible. Because there's going to be a stage where even if Jaron is top 50, there'll be a stage where he's 400th because he is not playing. And we have seen all of these dips occur that have really hurt his overall fantasy value to a staggering degree, honestly. Today's episode. It's brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. That is what brings home the winning trophy. It is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything that you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you will always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, Your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back because with eBay Motors, you are burning rubber and not cash. With all the parts that you need at the prices you want, it is easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. eBay guaranteed fit only available to US customers. Okay, so that's three done. We've got four to go. Let's go to the man traded for Damian Lillard, and that is Drew Holiday. It has not been particularly great for Drew from a fantasy perspective. We thought that he would take something of a hit, but he has taken way more of a hit than we expected. Drew's points per 36 are down 7.1. That is obviously a gigantic drop. It's one of the biggest points drop of everyone I look at. In fact, the only guy who had a bigger points per 36 drop was Chris Dunn. So out of the 200. How many actual players have I got in this database that I'm looking? 215. Out of the 215 players, it is the second largest drop of points per 36. And that's what happens when you're playing... uh, Well, he was playing alongside Middleton and Giannis, obviously, but now he's playing alongside Porzingis and Brown and Tatum. And at best, he's the fourth option. And a lot of times, he's the fifth option. His usage is down 7.5%. Again, an absolutely massive, massive dip. That is, I believe, the largest dip of anybody in this 215-player list. Now, we did expect a big drop in usage, but not that big. But it further goes in, and I'd have to do more research on this, but when you talk about forming of super teams, the top two usually stay relatively safe. The third guy takes a big hit, and in this case, the fourth guy gets obliterated. And that's what's happened to Drew here. He was basically equal number two in Milwaukee, and now he's gone to, let's say, fourth or fifth, equal fourth. And that is just a massive hit to your usage. You can't sustain those numbers. 
His assist rate, also massively down. And part of the thing we thought with the Celtics, oh, who's, their passing might not be that good, yeah? Who's going to pass? Like, Jalen's not really good at it. Tatum's not that good at it. But Derek White's doing so much more of the playmaking. Tatum has improved. Horford's doing a lot of that. So Drew's assist rate is down per 36, three per 36. He's averaging just 4.8 assists. And again, part of the logic you could have twisted yourself into thinking about Holiday was, well, now that he's on this team, he'll just focus more on being a point guard and being a distributor. I guess not. He just doesn't have the ball. He doesn't get to shoot it. He doesn't get to pass it. None of that happens. His minutes are actually up from where they were last season, amazingly. But if we talk about is this stuff sustainable or can it improve, I don't think so. It would require a long-term injury from the Celtics. Derek White needs to go down. Jalen Brown needs to go down. Because the reason that these things are down is he just does not have the ball. He doesn't score. He doesn't get usage. He doesn't get assists. He doesn't have the ball. I could also go in and tell you that Drew Holiday's steals are down from 1.2 down to 0.8, which again, makes no sense. You would think having more energy to expend defensively would mean those steals would go up, but no, they have not. And I don't really have a full explanation for that. Maybe it's just that, honestly, he's old. And sometimes when you're old, things just fall away. And that is sort of what's happened to Drew. So while I can look at some of these other names and be like, yeah, I think there is some hope, Lillard, for example, I don't think there is for Jaron. I don't think there is for Drew. I don't think there is for Kelly Oubre. I'm not sure that much is going to change here. I could see some change happening, though, for Bradley Beal. His points are down. Another example of the third star, the number one guy becoming the third guy in Phoenix. The top two guys don't take that much of a hit. The third guy does. So Beal's points are down, 4.9 points per 36. Beal's usage is down, minus 4.8%. Big drop. All right. Will that stuff change? I don't think so. I don't think there's gigantic room for that stuff to adjust. His threes per 36 are up. His rebounds are up. His assists are actually a little bit down after Shams was blowing smoke up his ass telling us he was going to be the point guard. His assists per 36 are down. His blocks are down. His steals are about the same. But his field goal percentage is down. But his free throw percentage, there's no reason for that to be down. He's down almost seven percentage points on free throws. And from a uh, standard score, Z-score point of view, that's 0.77. So that's getting close to one standard deviation down in free throw percentage. And there's absolutely no rationale for that. Joining Kevin Durant and Devin Booker doesn't mean that happens. Having injured hamstrings and ankles doesn't mean you can't hit free throws. Maybe you could argue that the mask that he's wearing at the moment might impact that, but this is a season-long problem. He went from shooting 89, 83, and 84 from the line to under 78. So there's no reason that can't improve. That can easily run back to 85, easily. And then your free throw value goes up and that also improves your points by much, maybe not. But it might be one and a half extra points a game, might be two points a game, probably more one and a half points a game, I would say. Because if we have a look at what Beal's doing at the moment, he's only taking three free throws a game and he's hitting 2.3 of them. So if that jumps up to 85%, he's probably hitting like 2.7. So it's 0.4 points per game. So I was probably overshooting it there. But it still helps. And then you don't have that negative free throw percentage number. You get to more of a neutral or even a positive. Your points jump up a little bit. And then that's 20 spot ranking jump just there. So I have, I know we had a hamstring injury just before the break. I have some hope in Beal being able to turn some of this around. Now, I know you guys have been waiting. 
I know you guys have been saying they he has to, doesn't he? There's no way that he's not talking about this guy. Oh, he's protecting himself for being an absolute fraud and having the worst projection of all time. And you guys are wrong because Jordan pulls on this list. He stinks. If we were going to a potato factory, this spud would be right up on the front, on the front of the factory. What is, I, I, there are so many things here that defy logic. And I will, again, admit that I'm wrong on Jordan Poole's projection, but I'll also stand by the process that got us here. Because, like I've said many times, like when Brandon Ingram moved from the Lakers to the Pelicans, I didn't go in and say, well, you know what, guys, I think moving to this new team means he's going to shoot 27% better from three. Right? Because if you have those sort of random ideas around projections, you will just screw up every time. Like, there's no way of predicting that stuff. And that same goes with Poole. Somehow, somehow, this man, this mustache-looking legend, is playing fewer minutes as the supposed featured guy on the Wizards than he did as the sixth man for Golden State. Cool. Even the most ardent Jordan Poole haters, and there are, there are a lot of them, in the preseason, if you go, yeah, you'll definitely think Poole will play less than he did in Golden State. They go, nah, he play way more, mate. He'll just hurt your field goal percentage. Right? No one could have thought this. But somehow he's managed it. He's managed to be this bad that he plays less minutes. He averages 5.3 points per 36 minutes less. So not only is he playing fewer minutes, but his ability to score is down when theoretically he should have the ball more. His usage is, again, amazingly five percentage points lower than it was in Golden State when he was at 29 last season. And the year before that, when they won the title, when he was a starter for the majority of the season, playing either alongside Steph or alongside Clay, that's how that season ran. He started next to Steph and then Clay came back and Steph got hurt and he started next to Clay. He ran 26 usage on that team. On this absolute nonsense squad, the Wizards, his usage is 24. And, he, and to make it worse, over the last 14 games for Paul, his usage is 20. 20. This man is turned into just a role player, but a terrible one. And his threes per 36 are down as well. He's hitting 1.93s a game this season. Are you actually joking? He hit 2.6 last season and 2.8 the year before that. His three-point percentage is a disgusting 30%. He's not taking as many threes. He's not taking as many shots. All this stuff is disgusting. Is there hope? Well, I hate to I hate to do it, but sort of. His last four games, he's played 32 minutes. He's hit 2.8 triples. He's averaged 4.5 assists with 2.3 steals. And that is actually amazingly good for what he's been serving up anyway. Yes, there was a three-point game chucked in there, but 19-2-5, and 11-4-4, and 3-6-3 with three steals on an 8% shooting. Terrible game, weird game. And then 19-5-6 and six with five threes and three steals. Three out of the last four games are basically not far off what we thought. It's still really weird. It still doesn't make any sense. And I think if you wanted to drop him, it's absolutely like you could have done that weeks ago and you'd be fine because he's been trash. But there are a couple of subtle things starting to happen. But again, this stuff is just amazing that you could be given this opportunity and be so bad in that opportunity. It's just really crazy. The last guy is Markel Fultz. Markel Fultz entered last season coming off um, ACL injury, then a toe injury in preseason, but started to play really well. And I was pretty interested in what he was going to bring. 
I didn't think he was going to be a top 50 player or anything on those lines. I thought he'd be pretty much unquestioned as their starter because once they got him back last season, they became good. They were, what, some terrible, what, 3 and 20 or something? And then Fultz came back and they were 50. They were 50. They were, they were 500 the rest of the way. I thought, okay, that's cool. He gets him into position. He runs things really well. This season, he came in. He was available to start the season. And then we got the late scratch knee tendonitis. And then we, he came back and played one game. And then he was out for basically two months with an undisclosed knee injury. And he has been bad. He's playing 5.6 minutes less this season than he did last season. It helps that Jalen Suggs has taken a big step forward. But it's not like Cole Anthony stepped into this large role. It's not like Bristol Black has been awesome. Fultz has just been bad. So 4.4 points per 36 lower, lower. His assist rate is down. He averaged 5.7 assists in total last season. That is 1.4 assists per 36 fewer this season than what it was last season. So it's not even that his minutes are down. He went from 6.9 assists per 36 down to 5.5. Just not, not an initiator. It's all Paolo and it's all Franz. And yes, his three-point shooting is never going to be a strong suit. He shot 31% from three last season. He only took about two attempts per 36. It's really low volume. He's 16.8% lower this year. He has hit, take a guess, how many threes do you think Markel Fultz has hit this season in 505 minutes? One. One. He's hit one three for the season. Again, we don't think that he's a great three-point shooter. We don't expect him to be a good three-point shooter. But he's hit one. One three all season. He just abandons that completely. And they're starting to abandon him in his minutes. They're playing Jonathan Isaac over him. They're playing Jalen Suggs over him. I don't know whether this stuff comes back. I think the way the offense is running, where it runs through Paolo and Franz and a little bit of Suggs, is probably what they're going to continue. The three-point shooting, he's again completely abandoned it. And that really impacts the team's spacing. And look, because Jalen Suggs is a 39% three-point shooter now. And the scoring, he's just uninvolved. He's just not that guy anymore. He was 21 usage last season. 27 the year before that. 17 this season. It's a big dip. It's a big dip. So Michael Fultz is your last name on this list. Now, I know there's going to be someone that you say, oh, Josh, you forgot about this guy. What about this guy is the biggest dropper? Let me talk about the other guys who are in the next bunch of, of um, players who were in the top or bottom 5% for category reductions uh, in two separate categories. It was Darren Fox, Mitchell Robinson, Paul Reed, Jared Vanderbilt, Dayron Sharp, Anyeka Okongwu, Chris Dunn, Steph Curry. What, is, what were Steph's ones that he dropped down in? Let me double check that. I think it was, it's got to be shooting numbers for him. Anyway, I can't, I actually can't see them in front of me. That's okay. Um, DeAndre Ayton, no surprise there. Keldon Johnson, Zach Collins, Norman Powell. Um, where are we now? I think we're almost done with that. Oh, Chris Paul and, of course, Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins. What is also interesting is yesterday, two of the big risers were Dante DiVincenzo and Jalen Williams. Yes? But they also appear as having one category each that they were in the um, top 5% of fallers. So you can improve significantly, like those two have, like Tyrese Maxey has, like... Giannis, uh, well, you say Giannis has improved. Tyrus Halliburton has. And still be um, fallers in certain categories. 
Because again, fantasy is like that. And often when you take a conglomerate ranking across all nine categories, it doesn't actually tell you any sort of full story about the value that a player has. And that's where you've always got to be cautious about what you're doing in terms of valuating a player. Now, that does it for that show. So tell me what you think of those seven players, the eight players yesterday who were the big improvers. Leave your comments down below. You know all the ways that we can go and do this to help. I think I'm going to have another show today, so just stay tuned. We'll see what happens. And don't forget, in the meantime, hit the thumbs up, but hit the notification bell. So if that other show does drop, well, you'll be the first to know. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.